Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. That's definitely good. Get some errands done and then back home to do a little work. Interesting. So how how busy are you right now, given everything else going on? Um, It varies week to week. I had two games last week. Um, I have one this week, and then I kind of start kicking back into high gear next week. We got all the Madden recordings picking back up. Right. yeah, so it's it's good though. It's good to be back busy after a, obviously a very slow pandemic. Right, and and yeah. and just because you mentioned it right there, and you've definitely answered that question a, a billion times at this point. Just to get into it uh, right off the bat, for you, uh, just mentioning that uh, you're going to go back to work, back to the studio for Madden and everything like that. Uh, I mean, play by play aside, for you uh, getting a start in in minor league baseball, I saw as well as with the BTN network and Fox Sports calling uh, calling college football games. But for you, uh, what was the whole experience like getting uh, the call to become the next voice of Madden football? And like, how did that all go for you personally? And why do you think that they chose you for the the video game franchise? Yeah, it's one of those. You know, you'll probably only get a few phone calls in life or yeah. emails that you that you never really forget, and that certainly ranks up there at, at the top. I was at the time doing the play by play at Georgia Tech. And I got a, a note via LinkedIn, actually, from the director of talent at EA Sports. And basically the note said, we have an opportunity at EA Sports we would like to speak to you about. And I didn't know why they would be reaching out to me. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't certainly think that going through LinkedIn seemed like the most viable option right. for a big company like EA Sports. So it was a little surprising, but I took the message to be serious, and I replied, and set up a phone call and lo and behold they went on to tell me that they were looking to move on from Jim Nance and Phil Sims and one of the producers that worked on the game had heard my work and identified me as sort of a dark horse candidate they liked my voice they liked my call and so they at least wanted to bring me down to Orlando where the studio is to audition so I went down to audition this is back in gosh 2015 and I wasn't thinking a whole lot of it I mean certainly I was excited to be considered i was flattered but i knew that they were replacing jim nance and that they would probably be reaching out to a lot of national big names and that i was just one of many auditioning so but when i did the audition i thought it went extremely well it felt good it felt natural and the feedback was positive so i just i hoped and waited and then a couple of months later they called and, and sure enough asked if i wanted to be the one to replace jim nance and again that that's a phone call that you you only get once in a lifetime yeah. and i'll always remember where i was and I, I couldn't say yes fast enough so it's been an extremely rewarding last five years with that franchise how I guess awesome or weird is it hearing your voice in a video game? I don't know if you play it at all, but what's that experience like? I actually don't play it. The only time I've played it is when my nephew in uh, Dallas, Texas beats me, and I go down (laughs) and visit visit the families for the holidays, and I'll 
if he asks me to play, I'll play him. I've played him a few times. He's beaten me every time. So <laughs> I do not own a system, though, so I don't hear it very often. I did when I, before the pandemic, when we would go down to Orlando every week, they would sometimes have these uh, testing sessions where they would play the game and we would listen to it so that we could make suggestions for the audio. And to be honest, um, I don't like I don't love how it sounds just because right. when you call a real game, it's much more natural and fluid. A video game is very robotic. It's taking eight to ten second sound bites that were recorded on different days and different weeks, in many cases different years, and meshing them together back to back to back to try to make it sound like it's one coherent thought, when right. in reality... It's just a bunch of stitched together lines. So I more or less get frustrated because I want perfection. I expect perfection out of myself. And when, when the lines don't flow well together, at no fault of, of the people at EA, it's just how the video game mechanics work, um, I can get a little frustrated at times. Right. I mean, I can only imagine that it's just kind of tough getting into that, you know, game seven mode of having a passion and empathy towards a call when you're just in a studio, like with headphones on. Yeah, they also, you know, you want to be careful. You don't want to go too over the top and get too excited on certain lines because then that won't match with the other lines. And if you go from really high back to normal monotone, and then it, then it just sounds even more weird. So it's almost better to keep an even keel voice throughout everything and, and almost be like background noise. I think that's what the EA developers really want. They yeah. want you kind of just to blend in with the game. I think if you don't stand out, then that's that's the better scenario. So you know, sometimes I'm sure if you're if you're calling a touchdown winning catch in the video game, it's not going to sound like it would just naturally in an actual Super Bowl broadcast. That's right. just the nature of the beast because that touchdown catch has to be played also when it's 52 to three in the fourth quarter of a Jets Lions game. So right. um, so yeah, so it's a little bit tricky, but it's uh, it's been a fun and unique challenge. So do they give you like background noise and stuff to kind of bounce off on to have that sort of passion for some of those calls? Like do they uh, give you any sort of uh, effects in that nature? When I do a solo session, uh, sometimes the engineer Kyle Burt will put in the game's underlying crowd noise, which is just a little bit of a dull crowd noise. So it's not yeah. really a roar, so you don't really get the – but at least gives you some type of a sense like you're in a stadium. When Charles and I do two-man sessions, Kyle plays music for us because uh, Charles likes to hear hear music, and so we'll, we'll mainly listen to music when we go back and forth for the two-man sessions. But since the pandemic started and we've been recording remotely from home, obviously that has all changed, and so we don't have access to the things we, we used to in the studio, so we're just kind of going off Zoom calls and trying to make the best of it and hopefully uh, continue to record the game at the same level we were prior to the pandemic yeah definitely man and and just to go back to the beginning with you kind of switching gears to uh getting into broadcast because i don't take too much of your time here but uh what was it for you uh growing up when did you decide that you wanted to pursue uh play-by-play commentary and when was it when because your first uh big break i know was in minor league baseball with the orm owls right yeah yeah that was my first job out of college when i was young i was the youngest of four children and my two older brothers were always into sports my dad was a coach at the high school level and so i I just grew up around sports i loved it from a young age and in particular i 
was very fond of watching baseball on television as a kid, and the Atlanta Braves were on TBS every game, every day. And so I would, a lot of people watched the Cubs on WGN, but I fell in love watching the Atlanta Braves. And in 1991, when the Braves became good, my parents actually took us down to game uh, five of the 1991 World Series where the Braves beat the Twins 14-5. to And I always remember very vividly walking into Atlanta Fulton County Stadium that night and I remember what it smelled like I remember everything that happened and vividly remember Mark Lemke hitting a bases loaded triple off the right center field wall and the, and the route was on and the place was electric and from that point on I was really hooked on sports and I realized as a, as a kid how much I enjoyed listening to the announcers and so I would set up shop in my family room and I would play with a little bat and ball and I would announce and I would play both teams and then when basketball season came I had a goal in my parents bedroom that I played on and I just found myself always announcing and so it was just something that I was always enamored with something I always wanted to try to do and after college I got that job in minor league baseball and just kept bouncing around and sticking with it now I'll keep doing it until somebody tells me to stop yeah what was your first uh, official play-by-play job was it in college or was it the Orm Owls gig well, I mean the first professional one was that Orm Owls right. job I left the day after college to go do that um, you know I had a couple internships while I was in college one with ESPN and one with the Texas Rangers. So those kind of got my feet wet in the business, so to speak. But the first official job was the minor league baseball gig. So with the Owls, I mean, I know minor league baseball, you're basically running everything. You're you're doing media relations, play-by-play, sales, operations, all of that. How humbling of an experience was that for you, given it was your first professional uh, gig in the industry? How humbling was it for you? Well, I mean, I loved it. I I don't... uh, there was nothing about it that I thought was I was too glamorous for it wasn't good right. enough in fact it was the opposite I loved it it was 76 games in 80 days and I was 22 and a lot of the players were my age so it was a lot of fun I developed a lot of friendships out there and just being able to call baseball every day I didn't care about the long bus trips or the late nights and then going to the bar ballpark the next day at 11 i didn't care i just wanted to call games uh, you know it was certainly a little not the best financially i was only making 500 dollars a month right. and living living for a hundred dollars a month in the basement with four byu students hmm. um eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly in the clubhouse but but it was a fantastic experience and i figured when i got through with that if i still love broadcasting that it was something I would want to continue to push on and pursue, and and uh, I, I affirmed that that was the case. Yeah, and for you, I got to assume your big breakthrough moment, obviously, you get the gig with Madden, but at the same time, uh, uh, Fox Sports comes knocking on the door, BTN Network as well, because, I mean, what led to that kind of culminated stretch with all those opportunities? Because they basically all came in at the same time for you. Yeah, they did. It was kind of three things that happened at once again i was at georgia tech i I was in my third year at georgia tech and i really enjoyed it i mean it was acc football and basketball and i was embedded at the school and that was a lot of fun and getting to know the coaches and players there and then i got the call from fox uh, excuse me from ea sports that thing started to line up and shortly after ea had asked me to do that and it hadn't even been publicized it was still private but Fox through the Big Ten Network. Fox owns the Big Ten Network. Right. And so they asked if I would want to come try my hand in television. 
I had had a little TV experience, but not much. But, you know, that was uh, an opportunity I didn't think I could pass up. And, and at the same time, Westwood One Radio handles a lot of the national broadcasts for NFL and college football and the NCAA for basketball. They asked if I wanted to come over and start doing a full load of games for them. So I had this wow. unique marriage. of I left Georgia Tech and was able to announce at the same time that I was taking on this trio of new roles. Uh, and since since then, my roles at Fox have evolved. I've gone from less BTN to more Fox, and I don't do as much radio anymore. I do select NFL games for Westwood One and, and the NCAA tournament, but I more do... Um, more television in the last few years and it's a great mix because i still get to do the radio i love the radio i love westwood one and i love the people that i work with at btn and fox so i've i've just been extremely lucky and fortunate and i realize that and that's something that i try not to take for granted i I know that a lot of people don't get the opportunities that i've been blessed with and i'm extremely thankful for them i mean i mean that's got to be a huge moment for you i mean what what's your uh like specific goal like what's the uh the uh, reach for the stars goal for you do you have one in mind or just trying to enjoy the current moment no i've never really had uh listed goals I operate under the cliche of if you do your best in this current moment, in that day, in that job, that the rest will take care of itself. And when I say the rest will take care of itself, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get to call the Super Bowl one day or the World Series. It's just that you'll be satisfied. I, I think what I've learned over the last however many years I've been out of school, 13, is that when you try to look too much into the future, and you focus on that is the apple in your eye ultimately that leads to what i have found disappointment and when you there's again there's nothing wrong with goals but when i think you make the top of the mountain your end-all be-all and if you don't get there you're a failure i think then maybe you're you're classifying success in the wrong way i think success is being satisfied in your job and doing the very best that you can and then let the chips fall where they may and putting more emphasis into your family life and if faith is important to you and to your faith and those things that uh, matter a little bit more than what we do from nine to five. So um, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, If I get to call a Super Bowl someday, if I do I would I do I have aspirations to be like Nance and Buck and Michael? Sure, of course I do. You know that would be phenomenal, uh, and I'm going to continue to work towards that. But if I, at the end of the day, if I'm doing what I'm doing now, and five to ten years from now, and I've, I've given it my best shot, then I can look myself in the mirror and say that's okay. Right, and that was going to be the next thing I was going to ask you about, kind of trying to finding that balance in what you're doing professionally as well as just trying to be happy personally, because that's the overall goal for everybody. How? Uh, how quickly or slowly did you kind of come into the realization of that and like when was kind of like the tipping point where you were like okay i kind of have to focus more on like uh the kind of like the personal reason of being happy yeah i think it was more of a slow maturation outside of college i mean i always challenged myself to never look too hard at the next job but i did find myself doing that to some degree in the first five years out of college of okay this is a good job but what's next what's next and then i i think at the time when i when i got the play-by-play job at butler which was my alma mater and i was starting to get towards my late 20s 
I just put a little less emphasis on what's next and more focusing on the here and now. Um, so I don't know that there was a watershed moment, one that just sticks out, but I think it was just a, a gradual maturation of listening to others in the business and even outside of the business, just people in general and t- learning what what makes people happy and those that are happy, why are they happy? And I guess what I found in my own personal little subjective poll is that people are typically more satisfied in their life when they aren't so hell-bent on professional objectives and goals making them uh, happy. Uh, I I think that that if they put those at the top of the food chain and say, I have to get these things professionally, then then usually they fall short of that happiness. And they're always craving more. They get there, oh, what's next? Um, So I I think it was just a gradual learning process for me. And and the last thing I want to ask you before I let you go on that topic uh, for you, when was kind of like, again, like that tipping point of like, okay, like something really bad happened about the same time, you got to look at the bigger picture. Like, what do you think was like one of your biggest failures that stands out to you in your career from broadcasting? And like, what were you able to take away from it to say, okay, maybe this isn't all that like matters, you know? Yeah, I mean, just like everybody else, I, I've heard no. I've been I've been lucky to hear yes at times and get some great opportunities, but I've heard no. I've applied to things that haven't worked out. Um and I think one example of a job that I didn't get that I was a little upset at at the time but that I learned a lot from was I was doing the play-by-play at the University of Evansville and South Carolina's men's basketball and baseball broadcast position opened. I was 25 at the time and I thought it was a perfect next step for me. I was doing baseball and basketball at Evansville. I thought it would be a a good launching pad and a perfect next step. And I didn't get it. And I I thought I was going to get it. And I didn't. And I was upset. But then, you know, a short time later, I got the, a job that I would have deemed much better at my alma mater going to broadcast for Butler, and, and the first year I was there, they go to the Final Four. Yeah. So um, I think through all of that, I learned the lesson of be patient, and if things don't work out, then that's okay. Now, if you apply for a job and you didn't put your heart into it and you didn't try your best and you didn't get it, well, then you can learn for a different reason. But I felt I did everything I could have for that position, and just subjectively, they chose someone else, and that's okay. Um, so I think I learned a lot in that instance. Was that like uh, was was that one of like the tipping points for you in the sense of just like okay, this isn't all end of the world? Like initially, were you like you just said pretty bummed about it? But was there like any like silver lining in that right off the bat for you, or did it take some time? I wouldn't. I wasn't distraught because I yeah. really loved my job at the University of Evansville. I would say that was the first time that I experienced true professional disappointment. Of oh wait, I, I thought they were going to choose me. You know, it seemed like I was a good fit, um, but they didn't. And uh, I think that was just a, a lesson to say that's okay. It took me a, a little while to get over the sting of that. But then again, I, I refocused, and then an even better job came up, and that one did work out. Um, so I, I just I think there are a lot of lessons to be taken in the nose that we hear in life, no matter yeah. what our career path is. And I, I think now when I hear no on something, 
I'm able to accept it a lot easier maybe than I was back in my early to mid-20s. Right. And and just kind of to wrap things up here, going back uh, to work, like you said, back to the studio for Madden, is there anything like, different in the different uh, games year by year that they uh, make you do? Like, Are there any like new ideas that they suggest when it comes to just voiceovers in general? No, it's been pretty standard from year one. I think what's tough is that the pandemic this year has made it so we haven't been able to implement a ton of new ideas. Uh, You know, when we started recording, Charles Davis and I, this was a new wave. They They were adding much more commentary to the game than had ever been added before. So it's been a learning curve for everyone. It was a great idea that EA had. But to have that much audio on the game and so many sound bites, so many just uh, so much space on the disc, so to speak, I think there was a, there's a volume that they'd never had before. And so just categorizing all that, making sure it plays at the right times, it sounds good, was a was a big enough chore for the first two years. Now we're at the point where we can start to layer in new things and new elements and new ideas but then the pandemic hit. So right. hopefully for next year, if we can be back in the studio, we can start experimenting with some things and, and adding some new elements to it. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. And Brandon, thanks so much for taking time out of your morning to uh, talk to me. And I hope you have a good rest of your day and a good rest of your year with everything going on, man. Thanks, Jack. Great to talk to you. Appreciate the time, man. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. Now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.